Well, Mark chapter 6 this morning on uh, continuation of our series, Pictures of Jesus. And so make sure you're there. We're going to get there in a second. What we've been doing is going through the book of Mark chapter by chapter by chapter and um, really kind of getting an overview of each chapter, but specifically kind of honing in on one particular piece of that chapter so that we can really kind of get a well-rounded just kind of picture of of Jesus, the man, the ministry, and the message so that at the end of this series, we'll really have a good grip on Jesus, who he was, what he did, and what he said. And so we're calling this series uh, Pictures of Jesus. And the reason we're calling it Pictures of Jesus is because throughout this series, what we're going to be doing and and receiving from Mark is is information that was passed to Mark from Peter, who was an eyewitness of Jesus. And, And Mark will then give us these really concise but vivid clips of the life of Jesus. And the story kind of moves along very quickly. And, and, and what it does as it moves along quickly, however, is it gives us these really strong pictures, biblical pictures of the life of Jesus. And, and they're pictures that what God will do is, is kind of file them in your memory so that you can have them for recall for appropriate times in your life. Um, in, in John chapter 14, verse 26, here's what Jesus says. He's about to uh, uh, go to the cross and then ascend into heaven. And, and what Jesus says is this in John 14, 26. He says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And so what Jesus is saying specifically to the 12 disciples is, is that the Holy Spirit will help them understand the things that they didn't quite yet get from Jesus. And he would also help them to recall all the teachings of, of Jesus so that they could record for us the Gospels and, and the New Testament soon after Jesus resurrects into heaven. And, and so that's specific for them. But for us, it's, it's also true today that one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is that he brings things to our remembrance. It might be... Let's pray for this person. He brings that to your remembrance. It's, it's also uh, scriptures, things that um, maybe you're, you, you know, you're in a situation in life and it comes to your mind. You say, I did not realize that I really knew that story or understood that story. Or I didn't even think I had that scripture memorized. And it just it comes to you pretty quickly. It's happened to me quite a bit. And so I pray that as we go through the book of Mark throughout this series, you'll kind of get this strong mental uh, photo album of Jesus that, that God, the Holy Spirit, will bring to your mind uh, throughout your life, these pictures of Jesus when appropriate. And so today we're just going to kind of further develop this, this big photo album in our, in, our, um, in our lives in Mark chapter 6. So before we do that, I just want to take some time and I want to pray, as we always do, we kind of enter into this time, we call it our pastoral prayer time. Someday it'll be a, a time where we have elders come up here someday and they'll be praying uh, with me or in place of me, and, and uh, so that's what we'll be doing. But we just want to really value prayer, hone in on some specific things. And one specific thing I just want to really make you aware of today is is our friend Nicole from Hanscom Air Force Base is is leaving uh, this week, right? Tuesday she'll be leaving to Bahrain. It's a country in the in the Middle East, and uh, she'll be going for six months. And so I just want us to be praying for her. Write Nicole, uh, write her name down, and and be praying for her as she's. Uh, being deployed and should be back September. So um, let's let's be praying for for her if we can do that. We'll enter into a time of prayer. We'll pray for her now. We'll also be praying for. Let's pray for Holly, Ben's wife, Ben who is singing. Uh, she's on bed rest until the baby comes, baby number two. So let's pray for Holly. I do want to commend a lot of you uh, ladies who kind of gathered together and and 
created some uh, support to help Holly and to take care of Cecilia while Ben's at work. So I commend you for that. That's, um, that's acting like the church. And so that's, that's awesome. Um, so let's pray for these two specific things. And we'll, we'll also be praying for those other churches, uh, North Shore, Cambridge, and the Russian church uh, specifically this morning. Can we do that? Let's pray. God, thanks so much for uh, who you are. God, we thank you that we can gather like this in the name of Jesus, who is resurrected and reigning and, and sitting at the right hand of the Father because it is finished. And, and that sitting is a sign of he, he did it. And, and Lord, we thank you for that. And um, Lord, we, we wouldn't be here um, worshiping if it weren't for the fact that Jesus conquered the grave and, and he is alive. And so we gather in the name of Jesus to worship Jesus, um, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you. God, we do want to pray specifically this morning for Nicole um, as she's heading out um, to uh, Bahrain. God, I ask that you would just put your hand on her. In this, this time of uncertainty, just having been settled uh, a couple years here, uh, now been, being sent out for six months, uh, Lord, I pray that you would just give her that peace that passes all understanding uh, that only you can give, Lord. I pray that as she's there, that you would protect her, Lord, that you would just give her an experience that she could come back, look back on and say, that was a really powerful time in my life, a life that I, I, I grew in the Lord, my dependency in the Lord. And Lord, I just commit her to you. Um, be with those who, uh, who are real close to her. Lord, comfort them in this and um, give them peace as well. Uh, Lord, we just pray um, your power and your hand on her life. God, we also pray uh, for Holly this morning as she's resting and and um, on bed rest, Lord, I ask that uh, you would protect her, you would protect uh, that little baby inside of her, God, and I just ask that uh, you would bring uh, this, this young child safely into the world uh, in your perfect timing, Lord. And uh, Lord, we thank you for the gift of life, pray that we would honor that, and um, Lord, I pray for their family, that you would just uh, support them, continue to show your love, pour it out on them through your church, and um, Lord, I just, I commit them to you, God. Uh, this morning, we also want to lift up uh, just these three churches that we've, we've, we've uh, just mentioned. Lord, I pray for um, Grace Church, the Russian church in Brighton. Lord, may you just continue to draw more uh, Russian people, men and women, to yourself uh, in that place. Lord, do a great work with them. Empower them. And uh, may they see great fruit. We pray for the, the, the church, Aletheia Church, up in, uh, in Cambridge. God, I pray that they would continue to uh, just see great things happen there at the YMCA in, in Cambridge. Lord, do a great work um, among them. Empower their leadership to uh, be bold in, in a very densely intellectual place where people often think they don't need Jesus. Um, Lord, I pray that you would awaken them to their need for Jesus. I pray for um, Netcast Church on the North Shore in Beverly, also meeting in a YMCA. God, do a great work among them. They have a lot of college students coming. Lord, may these college students learn what it means to be a man or a woman of God and not be stuck in uh, that, that immaturity that, that uh, sticks with, with many college students and then is postponed into life. Lord, may they grow up, more importantly, grow up in you and see from those uh, few young families that are helping that church launch. Lord, may they see what it means to be uh, a man or a woman of God and, and to have a family that honors you. And may they see uh, just why they need that, why they need you commit them to you. Uh, Lord, I pray for our people. Lord, do a great work in our hearts. Grow us. May this series continue just to be a really uh, powerful opportunity for us to really develop a great mental photo album of the life and the ministry 
of Jesus. Lord, I pray that we would have these, these clips in our minds uh, from your scripture and you would just recall them when appropriate. And as we see uh, this particular instance this morning or these couple of instances this morning in the life of Jesus, may we see uh, your point, may we see what you're trying to do and who Jesus is more importantly in all of it. We commit it to you, Father. This is your morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What I want to do this morning is, is just kind of begin by showing you where the ministry of Jesus is at at this point when we come up to Mark chapter 6. And uh, what we'll do after that is move quickly then into uh, the, the focus passage that we're going to be looking at this morning from Mark chapter 6. But let's first, let, let's start with Mark chapter 6, uh, 1 through 6, where we're going to be uh, just kind of kicking it off, just so you can kind of get a marker here for where we're at. Um, he's been traveling and, and going to synagogues and, and teaching, and he's been performing miracles, and these miracles really display uh, who he is. They display his love for people. It displays his compassion towards people, and it displays his, his deity. And so he's been doing miracles and just some astonishing teaching, as many people have observed. It's astonishing, it says, is their response to it. And so here at the beginning of Mark 6, Jesus now enters one particular synagogue. He enters the synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth. Now remember, he was born in Bethlehem, as prophesied in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, raised in Nazareth, and so Nazareth being his, his hometown. And what, what happens in, in, in Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, I, I'm, I'm going to give you a little more, and the, the, the extra detail that I get and I give you comes from the, the other recordings of this instance in, in Matthew 13 and Luke chapter 4, a little more detail uh, especially in Luke chapter 4. But what's happening is a, is a really big occasion for Jesus. He's coming back to his, his hometown and he's finally bringing full, complete awareness of who he is, that he is God, that he is the Messiah, and, and that he's not just Jesus, the boy down the block that they grew up with, but he is the long-awaited Messiah, God. And so the question is, how is this news to be received? How are they going to respond with this Jesus that many of them grew up with or at least knew his parents and his family. And so Mark tells us that he, he goes and he goes straight to the synagogue. And as he goes into the synagogue, I want you to be reminded again, as we've seen all throughout the book of Mark, that Jesus is regularly going to the synagogue. It's a strong example to us of a commitment to a, a church body for him, commitment to going uh, not to a church, but to a, a group of people who love the Lord, who worship the Lord, and, and worshiping God regularly with them. He's setting that example for us. Luke tells us more specifically, when he gets into this synagogue, what he does is he's handed the scroll of, of the prophet Isaiah. He takes the scroll, and of all the passages that Jesus could read from in the prophet Isaiah, he reads Isaiah chapter 61, verses one uh, and two. Now listen to what he reads. And this is pretty powerful stuff. He says, he reads from Isaiah prophecy, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Good news being gospel, right, to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, that's in his hometown. Those are people that knew him, knew his family. From here, he takes the scroll, he rolls it up, and he sits down. Now, imagine this. He sits down, but people keep staring at him. 
they're kind of scratching their head. What's going on? They keep staring at him, and, and it says that, that he goes on then a little bit. Well, they're, they're waiting. He keeps teaching. So he keeps teaching. It says that they are astonished at his teaching. Again, that word astonished. And then it says that he, he then tells them, he says, today, this scripture that I've just read to you, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, yeah, I'm the Messiah. I'm the Messiah. And, and from here, the, the temperature starts to kind of change a little bit. And they start to drop these, these derogatory comments about Jesus. Like, wait a second. Isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't he the carpenter? And then they even go so far as to say, isn't this Mary's son? Some would suggest that they're insinuating that isn't he the illegitimate child of Mary, the virgin birth? And they're like, yeah, sure, she was a, a virgin. They go on, isn't this the brother of, of Joseph? Is, isn't this the brother of James and, and Judas and, and Simon? They go on, aren't, aren't his sisters here uh, among us? I mean, the people began to take offense at, at Jesus, and they just can't fathom how this carpenter from simple beginnings is, is now claiming to be the Messiah. And what happens is this big shift begins to take place in the life and ministry of Jesus as we've been looking at it in, in, in Mark um, this, this year so far. First of all, Mark chapter 6, according to Mark 6, people take offense at him. According to Luke chapter 4, they're filled with wrath. Also, according to, to Luke chapter 4, they try to kill him by throwing him over, over a cliff. And so we have this major shift in the life and the ministry of Jesus where the temperature changes and we start to see the first attempt for violence against Jesus, physical violence. And it's just this big kind of change of, of tone and temperature here. Also, uh, skipping the section that we're going to be looking at this morning in John chapter 6, 14 through 29, we have John the baptizer we saw in Mark chapter 1. He's now beheaded by King Herod. And so we just start to see this violent future awaiting Jesus. His life is now in danger. He's going to be going towards the cross. And I just want you guys to hear this because this really shows us kind of where we're going with the rest of the book of Mark. It's, it's a big change. Everybody loved his miracles. He starts to tell people, I am God. I'm fulfilling the scriptures. And suddenly things start to change a little bit. It moves from consumer. They like the consumer stuff. And when it says, now you've got to worship me as God, they start to struggle with that a little bit. Now let's get to Mark chapter 6, 7 through 13. This is where we're going to be focusing this morning. Mark 6, 7 through 13. This, this whole chapter, as I said before, this whole chapter, there's a lot in it. It's loaded with some really big stuff. Jesus going to Nazareth, uh, the beheading of John. Jesus feeds 5,000, Jesus walking on water. So there's no possible way that I could preach this all in, in one Sunday. But 7 through 13, these are the verses that I feel like God's really been stirring my heart to, to go specifically this morning as we're in Mark chapter 6. And, and the reason is, one, because it's probably a little bit unfamiliar to, to, to many of you. And then also because it really points to a, a very important aspect of, of the Christian's life, and that is dependence on Jesus, dependence on Jesus. And so let's read it. Mark chapter 6, 7 through 13. It says, And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, 
no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and to not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. And so they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. So here's what we have. This is where we're going to focus in on this morning. The disciples have been sent away from Jesus for their very first time since they began following Jesus. And so let's do this. Let's think back to Mark chapter 3 where we were a few weeks ago. In Mark chapter 3, we focused in on discipleship in particular. And one key verse we really focused in on uh, in Mark chapter 3 was Mark chapter 3, 14, which says, and he appointed 12, whom he also named disciples, so that they might be with him, and he would send them out to preach. Uh, And verse 15 says, having authority to cast out demons. So what that verse is saying, those verses are saying, is that he appointed 12, and it lists the name of the 12, so that they would be with him, rub shoulders with him, learn from him, see what he does, learn his example, and so that he might send them out. Send them out. Push them out. Get out from underneath uh, the the mother's wing and and, and be sent out, have authority to preach and to cast out demons and uh, do so with authority. And so now here in in Mark chapter 6, what was kind of forecasted in Mark chapter 3 now actually happens. The 12 disciples are given authority and they're sent out in pairs. In, in teams of two. And just kind of a little side note, we're, we're all about teams here at Charles River Church. We're all about creating teams of people who serve together. And so we have the River Kids team with some of the children working. We have a setup team. We have a teardown team. Uh, we have a community outreach team. We want to just kind of build these teams and really develop these teams. So we do ministry together. And it, it's, it's kind of a really cool thing that we get to meet needs and serve people in doing that. We also get to grow together and spend time together. And so Jesus sends them out, not alone, but in six teams of, of two. And, and these six teams of two are given the authority of Jesus to, to cast out demons, to have this authority over demonic influence and now, along with this, where I really want to focus in this morning within this, this chunk of Scripture here is, is what he, he really gives them for their travel instructions. Now, think about this a little bit. He, he gives them in verses 8 and 9 a little bit of uh, instruction. He tells them, here's what you're not allowed to bring. He says, you're not allowed to bring food. Not allowed to bring bread. He says, you're not allowed to bring a bag. You're not allowed to bring money. You only can wear sandals. And not two tunics, but only one tunic. And so we see no food allowed, you know, no granola bars for the, for the journey, trail mix, whatever you like to do for the journey. No bag for your provisions and all your stuff. And don't come in with your bags. No, no money for expenses where you can get there and buy the food and, and pay for the hotel. None of that. Only one pair of sandals, not two pairs of sandals, because they might be walking long distances and, and wearing them out. One pair of sandals and, and, and one outfit. Girls, I'm sorry, that would be tough for you, right? Jesus, come on. One outfit, uh, not two outfits. And, and, and now what Jesus is doing in these travel instructions, is he's communicating kind of a couple of things that I want to point out here. First of all, to the Jewish people, what he's communicating uh, when, when the disciples arrive in their town without permission or, or without provisions, he's communicating this this peace and defenselessness of, of the disciples, that they have nothing, they have no securities, and, and so they're vulnerable, and they're coming 
for good and they're coming not for harm. It would be a little different if the disciples came in and they had a lot of bags and they had all these outfits. They had plenty of food, plenty of money. They were stocked up in this little small town, these two strange guys coming. It might be a little more intimidating than these two strange guys coming for good, but have nothing and they're dependent on you. It's a little less intimidating. So Jesus is communicating peace. The disciples are here for good, not for harm. For us today who are Christians, who, who are also disciples of Jesus, what it, it communicates, what the, 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 the principle here for us is, is total dependency on the Lord. And that's what we really need to focus in on this morning. That's what God's been stirring my heart for you this morning is this idea of, of total dependency on the Lord that God must come through for us, that God must provide for us. For, for him, the question is how, how is he going to provide? Verse 11, he kind of shows them that he would provide by people opening up their homes, right? Uh, they would open up their homes for him. They would, families would be opened up to him. Families uh, would be the place where needs would be met. Families would be the, the place where their ministries would be headquartered. It's kind of interesting, right? If you think back through Mark chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, that this is exactly what Jesus did. What he's telling them to do is exactly what, what he did. So what he did, for example, was he went to the home of Peter, right? In, in Capernaum, Mark chapter 1, uh, verse 30, tells us that, that uh, Jesus heals uh, Peter's mother-in-law. Now, just kind of a, a side note, um, just to, to think through Roman Catholicism for a minute, right? And, and, and their, uh, their, their doctrine, Peter is the first pope, right? And popes are, are not allowed to be uh, married uh, under the ex- uh, these examples, right? Now, Peter was the first pope. He, he was unmarried but had a mother-in-law. See, a mother-in-law comes with a wife, right? And so Mark chapter 1, Peter has a mother-in-law. So he obviously had a wife. He had a family. And, and we see that that's where Jesus really kind of stationed his ministry. Peter's home in Capernaum. This would be where he slept. This would be where he ate. This, is, this would be where his ministry was really headquartered. We, we see several stories of people coming to Peter's home so that Jesus could teach. He packed out this house. Uh, one time we, we remember the story of where the, the men brought the paralytic guy, dug through Peter's roof, right? Hope his insurance covers that, right? Dug through his roof, drops the paralytic man down through Peter's uh, roof, and Jesus then heals the man. And so that was where Peter ate, did ministry, he slept, he fellowshiped. That's where Jesus did it at Peter's place. He also had food. We remember it with, with Levi or Matthew in, in Mark chapter 2 with Matthew. He had this meal, and so there was needs being met, being fed that way. And so this is how he instructs the disciples to go about living. This is how he instructs them to go do their ministry as he sends them out in, in pairs, is to live with the people there as they let you into their house, as you minister to them, to, to eat with them, to have your needs met by them, to fellowship with them, to do your ministry headquartered in, in their places. And, and so the disciples, under the example of Jesus and with the authority of Jesus, are sent out to do what Jesus did. Verses 12 and 13, look there, Mark chapter 6. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent, and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. So we see many, many. There's a lot of victory there under the power and the example of, of Jesus. Now, not only are the disciples living the way Jesus lived, right? Under people's homes and, and their provisions. But he's, they're also now, we see, outdoing what 
Jesus did. They're, they're instructing people to repent, to turn from sin, to turn to Jesus. They're casting out demons, as we saw Jesus do last week in Mark chapter 5. And they're anointing the sick with oil and healing them. And so they're healing sick people. Now, just another side note, oil for, for them was, was used as a soother. You can imagine oil being very soothing for, for people. And so today, from time to time, we might take oil and, and anoint somebody and, and use that uh, in, in conjunction with us praying for them. Not, not medicinally, not sacramentally, but using it purely as, as a symbolic of the healing power of the Holy Spirit. And so we may do that from time to time. But we see the disciples preaching, casting out demons, healing people, just as Jesus did. And so just think about it. This is discipleship. Mark 3, we looked at discipleship. Mark chapter 6, we start to see them really kind of fulfilling that discipleship where now they're, they're doing what Jesus did. He taught them. He was an example to them. And now they're doing what Jesus did. A disciple will eventually look like his discipler. Now, here's the point in all of this. Here's where we're kind of going with all of this. The overarching theme of all of this is, is this, and I'll put this point up on, on the screen for you, is that trusting in the provisions of Jesus leads to the power of Jesus. I want to make sure we get that. It, it seems so simple, but let's get that. Apply it in your life. Trusting in the provisions of Jesus really leads to the, the power of Jesus. And I so want for all of you in your, your lifetime to have the power of Jesus poured out into your life and, and, and through your life. But here's what you need to do. And there's, this is where we need to get specific for our own life. What you need to do is you have to give him opportunities to show himself powerful in, in your life. See, so often we, we, we in our, especially in our culture, we, we pride independence. And, and, and we, we really lift up uh, people being self-sustaining and, and alone in life. And, and the Christian faith says, no, you, you can't take care of everything yourself. You shouldn't try to take care of everything yourself. If you do that, how are you going to see Jesus provide? And so you have to step out and take these big steps of faith. For example, think about the disciples. Had they, you know, gone against the instructions of Jesus and decided to, you know, sneak a few granola bars, right? Or had they gone against the instruction of Jesus and try to sneak some cash to, to take care of the expenses and to get a hotel when they were there, they wouldn't be coming back with all these powerful uh, results. It would have been, here's what we ended up doing. Here's what we did with our stuff. Here's, here's how we did it. But they were able to say, we went with nothing and we left with great stories because Jesus showed up and did something incredible. They obeyed and they gave him Great opportunities for him to show himself and, and, and to provide. And, and so Jesus, through families, met their needs. And then Jesus provided these miracles that they in and of themselves could not do. Simple fishermen and, and a tax collector. I mean, they just, these guys couldn't do it in and of themselves. But Jesus showed up and did it for them. Can you imagine the pressure for the first time of these guys just saying, okay, is, is he going to show up? I trust he's going to show up. And there's, there's someone before them who is sick. They anoint with oil this person. And they're saying, Jesus, you've got to do this. You've got to do this. And in the same way in your life, I, I, I pray, I hope that you have those kind of moments where Jesus, you've got to do this. You, Jesus, you've, you've got to show up. Listen, until you step out in faith, it's going to be really hard for you to see God's faithfulness. 
You've got to step out in faith in order to see God's faithfulness. My, my wife and I can relate. Some of you know our story really well. We, uh, we were really, really comfortable just a, a year ago living in, in uh, central Massachusetts, west of, of Boston. We had a comfortable job. I mean, comfortable job. We, uh, we had a great house. We just built this house, 2,100 square feet. Just a, a great, beautiful house, uh, two acres of land. We were comfortable. But God called us and started stirring our hearts to, to step out and to take a step of faith and, and to move an hour east into the city and, 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 and go where there was no secure um, support for your family, no secure salary, nothing guaranteed to a more expensive city, no idea if anybody would even show up to, to this thing. And, and so it was scary and, and uncertain. But listen, had we not taken that step of faith, we wouldn't be where we are today. We wouldn't have seen God do cool things. And our faith wouldn't have been stretched and, and just exploding the way it currently is. We're in the middle of him doing some really incredible things in our faith and in our lives. But we wouldn't have seen it had we not taken that step of faith. And I think it's really true for you. It was true for these disciples. Had they packed all these extra provisions, contrary to what Jesus said, they wouldn't have seen him provide. Had they said, no, Jesus, I've never, I have no experience with demons. I have no experience with healing people. And they'd not done that. They wouldn't have seen Jesus do the incredible things that he did. And so I, I do want to ask you this, uh, just a real straight-up question for you and, and, and for your life. And I want you to really reflect a little bit. Are you living the kind of faith where unless Jesus shows up, you're in danger? Are you living that kind of faith? If, if Jesus doesn't show up, I, I, I'm in, in danger. Now, it's all throughout the Bible, right? Think about, think about Daniel and the lion's den. He prayed anyways, right? Think about the same book, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the furnace. Same kind of story. I mean, we could just go on and on and on and on of examples of people where they would have been in a lot of danger unless God, uh, if God hadn't shown up, but he showed up and proved himself faithful for you. And I would say this, big risk in your life equals big power. Big risk equals, equals big power, and as a result, big life change. And so for you, it may be, Sharing Jesus to one of your friends. Maybe for you that's a huge risk. Rightfully so. That's a huge risk to you. And, and, and the risk might be losing a friendship. The risk might be looking like a fool. The risk might be getting all tongue-tied. I don't know. And, and for you that's a, that's a big risk. Take the risk and watch Jesus show up. For you it might be taking for many people that, that first big step financially and saying, I'm going to commit and live what the Bible calls me to do and, and, and to really begin to, to give to the ministry of the Lord of the church. And maybe that's, that's a big, scary step for you. And, and what are the risks? The, the risks are your financial comfort. God promises that he'll provide. That's, that's a risk for you. Those are, those are real risks. Take the risk and watch Jesus provide. Maybe for you, it's, it's, it's the risk of, of taking that step of not practicing What's being practiced at your place of employment? Maybe it's something deceitful happening. Maybe they're asking you to, to tweak some numbers a little bit, to, to not be completely honest. And, and maybe for you, that's, that's a risk because you know that if you say, I'm going to honor God in this and take this step of faith, I could lose my job. Here, here's the, the point. Big risk equals big power. God will show himself true and faithful and, and bring about for you life change. Now, I, I want to I move to a different kind of, gear here. I want to switch a little bit because I think it's so easy to think in terms of what we see with the disciples, food, money, provisions, shoes, clothes. And I think that's where we typically stop right there. 
but, but so much bigger than these physical provisions or, or what I would call the spiritual provisions of Jesus. We really need to think on that because I think that the spiritual provisions are actually uh, even greater. They're even more weighty. The spiritual provisions of Jesus span into eternity. And uh, what I'm talking about is the gospel, the, the good news of Jesus Christ. I want to think about that and, and really um, think about this greatest provision that, that Jesus has, has given to us. And what we'll do is we'll put up on the, on the screen here a definition of the gospel. It's kind of been our church's working definition. And uh, I just want to read it together if we can, and um, see um, if, if we can just kind of get a, a quick uh, grip on gospel uh, in a broad sense. The gospel is the good news that God, who is more holy than we can imagine, looked upon with compassion people who are more sinful than we could possibly admit, and sent Jesus into history to establish his kingdom and reconcile people and the world to himself. Jesus, whose love is more extravagant extravagant than we can measure, came to sacrificially die for us so that by his death and resurrection we might gain through his grace what the Bible defines as new and eternal life. Now this is a pretty weighty definition, pretty all-encompassing. But what I want us to to latch onto here is, is that I think for many Christians, we think gospel, we think what we call evangelism. When we think gospel, we simply think Sharing your faith. You've got to know the gospel so that you can tell other people about Jesus. But listen, the, the gospel is not only important to, to share with people. The gospel is important for you to hear and to, to receive over and over and over and over and over again. So that you can be constantly reminded of your eternal dependency on, on Jesus. And so what I want to do for the remainder of our time together is preach the gospel, right? I mean, every week we preach the gospel here, but what I want to do for the remainder of our time together is make sure that you, you get the gospel and, and the weight of that because as Christians, if we don't keep hearing the gospel, we don't keep having the gospel preached to us and preaching it even to ourselves over and over and over again, what will happen is we slowly grow self-sustaining and independent of Jesus. Though we're, we're eternally secure, the Bible says, we tend to drift a little bit and think, I got this. I got this. I got this. In fact, the story moves on. In, in Mark chapter 9, the, the disciples are, are in a position again where they are to be casting out, out a demon. And they just couldn't do it. They, they couldn't do it. And what Jesus tells them is this. You got to pray. You got to pray. In other words, more dependence on Jesus. Come back closer. More dependence on me. And the, the gospel for us, we need to hear it so that we don't drift and become self-independent uh, or dependent. But we need to become more dependent on Jesus. And so I'll start by answering a question as we look at the gospel that I get quite often from people, and that is, Josh, you work out, right? I get that all the time, right? Okay, maybe I don't. I don't know. Um, obviously is how I respond. Of course I work out. Now, I, 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 um, I go to the gym periodically, and I'm not going to try to lie to you and make you think I'm, you know, yeah, I'm not. Anyhow, I do go to the gym occasionally and do some, some minor lifting. And one of the things that I've noticed at the gym is that the gym can kind of be like a comedy club. I, I constantly come home from the gym and tell my wife hysterical stories of things that have happened at the gym. And this will get to the gospel, I promise you. Right? You're struggling here right now. So, so, for example, there's this one guy who, you know, I'm usually there for an hour and 15 minutes, hour and a half. And there's this one guy, no lie, that I, I think the entire time I'm there, he lays on this stretching mat 
an older gentleman and lays on the stretching mat and reads Cosmopolitan. I mean, the, the entire hour and a half that I'm there, and it's, uh, you know, I'm just, it's hysterical. I love to tell Becky about this. There's this other guy who, you know the machines, right? He sits in this machine. I think it's a bench press kind of machine. He sits there, and he just watches this plasma TV, and I, I think he, he goes to the Y simply to, you know, get cable, right? And so he just sits there the whole time. And I, I remember coming home and telling Becky that he would occasionally go, and then watch for another 10 minutes, <laughs> and watch for, I mean, long breaks in between his reps, because he was lifting so much weight, and so, uh, man, just constant, constant funny stories. We had this other guy that um, I refer to as the grunter, and everybody knows about the grunter, right? You know the grunter? So this is the guy who's lifting so much weight that it just helps him to get the weight up by grunting loud, and it just makes it terribly awkward for everybody else, and so this guy's just, and, and so I noticed that the, 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 the grunter, shortly after he, you know, joined the Y, and, and oh, I shouldn't have told you the Y. I, sh- I, I meant to not tell you where I work out so that you wouldn't go. <laughs> Anyhow, I don't want to incriminate anybody. So the, the grunter at the workout center, um, he, um, shortly after he, he started his grunting business, um, there was a sign that was put on the wall, and it actually, no lie, the sign said, please be respectful of others. No loud noises, cheering, or grunting. Because, you know, you can picture the high school boys cheering, go, 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 or the guy grunting. Rah! And so the sign mysteriously shows up on the wall shortly after the guy started uh, doing his grunting. And so I uh, love that. Now, another one is this guy that I refer to as the chronic advice giver. I'll never forget my, my first experience with this guy. Um, a guy who clearly, you know, he wasn't, what, when you think in shape, he's not what you're thinking. And so this guy sits there, and, and people who are clearly, you know, you know, can lift more than him, stronger than him, you know, come by. He, he's constantly giving them advice. No, 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 no. This is not how you do. No, what you need to do is this. You need to do more reps, less weight. He's constantly giving advice. The guys whose biceps are, you know, twice as big as theirs and, and far more toned. In fact, one time, I remember the specific time, this, this, um, this college student comes in, and he was just pushing some serious weight, and the, the chronic advice giver comes walking in, and the machine beside him, I said, no, he wouldn't. This kid, I mean, sleeveless shirt, just massive, cut everything, and the chronic advice giver just starts to tell him, no, son, 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 it's a lot of weight there. I know it's a lot of weight, but what you need to do is you need to isolate the muscles. He starts using all this language, this lingo, isolate the muscles. I'm thinking, this guy is very isolated, right? I mean, you should see this kid's triceps, and uh, and it was, I love the, 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 you know, the chronic advice giver. But my favorite people of all time at the gym, and I apologize if this is you, but are the flexors. You know the flexors? They, they, you know, they always put mirrors around the walls of the gym so that everybody can look at themselves. And you pretend like you're not looking at yourself, but you know you're looking at yourself. But the flexors have no shame whatsoever. And they actually stand in front of the mirror and kind of, you know, flex and turn, and, and they even kind of get close and check out the track. You know, you know, the flexors, some of you are the flexors, I know, and I apologize about that. None of our guys have ever done that. I know that. But uh, here's, here's, here's where I'm going with all of this. I want to constantly call all of us to go deeper into the Scriptures, to press more and more and more into the Scriptures. Now, the, the Scriptures are actually referred to as a mirror. In, in, in James chapter 1, Uh, Verses 23, 24, 25, it says that the scriptures are like a mirror, that we are to look into this mirror is what it actually says. We're to look into this mirror, into this this perfect law, this law that gives liberty, referring 
to the gospel. And it says that we are to look into the gospel. We are to lean into the, the scriptures. And, and, and that's what look into means. We're actually leaning. Literally, it means leaning and, and peering into, trying to get closer. Like the guy's kind of leaning and looking at his, his tricep and his back and all that, kind of staring at himself. We're to look into the perfect law, the law of liberty, the gospel message. And, and why is this a mirror? The reason this is a mirror according to the Scripture, is because it shows us who we are. And it also shows us who we can be. And as it shows us who we are as a perfect mirror, what it really does is it gives us a reality check. Now, for me, nothing worse on the planet than going to the mall and having to try on clothes. I hate that. I just can't stand it. I just say, buy me something, bring it back, and, you know, I'll try it at home. Or I hate that. My wife says that, um, when, when trying on clothes, she says that there's something about the mirrors that just aren't flattering. You know, I don't know. Maybe you girls know that, the lighting or something. And that's, that's her, uh, you know, her excuse. I don't know. And, and so here it is. The, the Bible shows us as a mirror. And when you really, at first glance, look into it, nothing flattering there. You look into it, it shows you that spiritually you've got nothing to flex. Nothing to, to flex. Now, don't get me wrong. The Bible is also clear that you have been created in the image of God. You have been created beautiful uh, in his image and, and likeness and in a relationship with him. But like Adam and Eve, we've all turned from him. We've all sinned. And the Bible uh, is also pretty clear, Romans 3.10, that there is no one righteous. It says no, not one. So just in case you question, no one righteous, no, not one. Right? It goes on in, uh, in Romans 3.23. That, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So as you look into the spiritual mirror, you begin to see pretty quickly you've got nothing to flex, that we have nothing spiritually to flex, no strength, that we have been defeated by Satan and, and sin and death. Romans 3.23, what do we fall short of? It says we fall short of the glory of God. Now, that, I want to latch on to that for a second. God's standard is what here? God's standard is His glory. And it says we've all fallen short of His glory, of His perfection. And He can't tolerate sin. He's holy and He's just. And so sin must be dealt with. Now, here's the thing. Many people struggle with this idea of God having to judge sin. However, if it were a judge in our court system, we would not be okay with the judge letting people who are guilty go. Likewise with God, our God is good, Therefore, he must, because he's good, be a, a perfect judge and, and judge justly the offenses against a holy, infinitely holy, perfect God. He must justly judge those as a, as a perfect judge. And his standard, according to Scripture, is perfection, perfection, his, his glory. Now, for all of us in this room, I think maybe one thing we tend to do is start to compare ourselves to other people. And say, all right, well, according to that person's life and that person's life, I look pretty good. I look pretty good. And we, we're maybe even now you're, you're kind of in that spot saying that. Do not compare yourself to other people. According to the scriptures, we compare ourselves to his standard that we fall short of, the glory of, of God. Maybe others of us in here, maybe this is where our mind has gone. Maybe we realize, yeah, it's pretty obvious. I've got nothing to flex. Maybe you know your life. Maybe you know where you're at right now. And you know that your life is, is clearly far from God. The good news is, is that God in his perfection 
has infinite compassion and he has grace that is endless for you. And so I want us to check out um, just a really interesting truth that I think will help us here. The Bible often speaks of, of a mystery. It talks about a, a, a mystery, kind of like those infomercials, right, as we stick to this working out kind of idea. The infomercials that say the secret to the body like his or the secret to the body like hers or secret to the body you've always dreamed of is this, right? What I want to show you is the mystery, the secret to being spiritually ripped, buff, whatever you call it, the secret to living to God's standard, to God's glory. So, so read with me. We'll put it on the screen. You don't need to flip there for the sake of time, but read with me Colossians chapter 1, verses 26 and, and 27 to see the secret, the mystery here to being spiritually buff, ripped. Here it is. The mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed, it's now revealed in Jesus. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. This mystery is awesome when revealed. Which is, here it is, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so, so the, the, the mystery, the, the, the secret to being spiritually strong, very simply, very clearly, is Jesus. That's the mystery. Now some of you, this is a no-brainer, but let's keep going in this. What does it actually say? The mystery is Christ in you, the hope of, of glory. Let me ask you a question. Does it say Christ and you, the hope of glory? No, it says Christ in you is your, your hope of glory. And, and remember, reflect back, we've said it two times already, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of what? The glory of, of God. And so your hope of that glory, according to Colossians 1, 26, 27 here, is Christ in you. That's the mystery. Christ in you. The hope of glory. When I was a puny freshman in high school, um, my brother and I had given to us uh, this, this weight set. It was like a free, the free weight, so it's not a machine. It's a free weight, like a bar. You put the, the weights on the end. And we put it down in the basement. And I, I remember this one time uh, going down uh, into the basement to work out and, uh, as a freshman. And my family was gone. My brother and I were at the house for some reason alone. And I remember my brother was upstairs watching TV. And, and where we put this weight set was underneath where the TV is situated in my, my parents' house that we grew up in. And, and so I remember hearing the TV real loud going on and on and on. And uh, I, was, I was working out down there. And so I remember getting to, uh, I was going to do the bench press. And so I get under the, the bench, right? And I remember thinking, I'm going to do some, I'm going to do multiple reps, maybe five reps. And I put, you know, what I ended up doing was putting too much weight on the bars. And so I did one, two, and I think, I, I think it was three or four that I got to. And I just, oh, I couldn't get it up. And it was stuck on my chest. And I just remember screaming to my brother. He's here, by the way. You have to meet him. Nick! Nick! Help! Help! And, and the TV, I was trying to scream over the TV, just did not hear me. Nick! Nick! I thought I was going to die as a freshman just being crushed under the weight of all 25 pounds of my chest. on my chest. Just thought it was over, screaming. And by God's grace, by God's providence, I look over to the other side of the bar and I realize I forgot to put a clip on, on one of the ends. And so I was able to go, and lean it, and it goes, sing. And then what happens right after that? 
boom, and the, the bar goes flinging across the room or something, all 25 pounds, and, and I was saved. I was free. I was lucky is what I was, that I was stupid and didn't put the, uh, the clamp on the other, other thing. Now, what did I do wrong? Here's what I did wrong. Two things. One, I did it alone. I didn't have a spotter. And then the other obvious thing is, is I put too much confidence in myself. And I think one thing that can happen for us as, as Christians is we can put too much confidence in ourselves. We can start to see God, maybe in the early stages of your faith, doing some cool things, and we can drift. And we can start to put confidence in ourselves and start to think, I got this, I got this, I got this. And, and, and I put too much confidence in myself. Now, what we need to do, obviously here, if Christ is in us, the hope of glory, and the reason we need to hear the gospel over and over and over again is because we need to constantly be reminded that it's Jesus through us lifting the weight of sin. And it's actually referred to as weight, sin, in the Scripture. At one point, it's referred to as weight that can be hung on you and sink you to the bottom of the sea. It's, it's weight. It's heavy on you. And, 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 and sin will kill you. It will crush you eternally. It will destroy you. But Jesus says, also kind of referring to weight, He says, my yoke is easy. My burden, my, my weight is, is for you. It's, it's light. Philippians chapter 3, verse 3, says that Christians are people who put no confidence in their flesh. No confidence in their flesh. And hopefully you will learn, maybe you've already learned through experience in your life, when you put confidence in yourself and what you can do, spiritually you find yourself failing. Instead of putting confidence in our flesh, Philippians 3, 3, we glory in, in Christ. Now, Jesus lived, as you know, a perfect life. He lived a life that we couldn't live. He died the death that we deserve. And only he could die that death in our place. I can't die for you because I'm not perfect. I deserve the consequence of sin as well. He was the only one who could after having lived a perfect life. He takes the punishment for us, takes the crushing weight of sin upon himself so that the only hope we have is Christ in us. That's our, our hope of, of glory. And, and maybe in this room there's someone here, maybe several here this morning, who, who the hope of Christ in you is not yours. You don't have Christ in you as your hope of glory. And I would, I would want to call you this morning to trust in Jesus and say, Jesus, I, I'm, I'm realizing now that I can't get this crushing weight of sin off of me, that only you can. Only you can be victorious over it. You were and you will be for me if I will allow you to be in me, the, the hope of glory. And all you simply do is call out to the Lord and say, say God, I... I want to turn from my sin. I want to turn to you. I want to say, please, get it. Spot me. Spot me. My brother wasn't there for, for my weight, but Jesus will be there for your weight, right? He will take it off of you. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 puts it this way. For by grace, you who trust in Jesus have been saved through faith that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not as a result of what? Of works, so that no one may boast. So you trust in Jesus and what he did. You have no room to boast, but you boast in Jesus. And it's Christ, Jesus in you, the hope of glory. And so now what you have, if you turn to Jesus, is you have this Bible as a mirror, yes. But no longer is it simply a mirror that shows you that you have nothing to, to flex. 
No longer is it simply that not so flattering reality check for you. But in the Bible, you look into it and you see your, your hope of glory. As you look into the mirror, you don't simply see your puny self anymore. But what you see is you see Jesus and his muscles flexed up on a cross for you. You see Jesus being victorious for you, doing for you what you can't do and saying, I will be that in you and I will be victorious in you. And so that mirror tells us not only who we are, a reality check, it tells us who we can be in Christ. And Christians in this room, it tells you who you must be in Christ. Don't try to do this on your own. You will fail. You always have. You always will apart from Jesus. He was victorious eternally over Satan, sin, and death. And so maybe you haven't turned to Jesus today. Today is your day. I want to encourage you, call you to that, to turn to him. And he will gladly take that weight, gladly. Now, let me close with this. Back in Mark chapter 6, back in Mark chapter 6, the disciples, they experienced that power. They saw who they could be with Christ in them, with Christ giving them that authority and and moving in power uh, in and, and through them. And, and so let's read Mark 12 and 13 again as it shares their victory. It says, They went out and they proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Now can you imagine for you the profound impact that that has on your life as you see God do things through you that you never, never could have imagined doing. It was Christ in them. See, in Mark 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, they'd seen the power of Jesus. They'd seen the, the love of Jesus that he would call them. But now they see the power of Jesus displayed uh, through them. And, and I'm telling you, Christians in this room, God wants that for you. But you've got to give him opportunities in your life to show himself faithful. You have to say, God, I want to trust you for the provisions that you say you will provide. I will step out in faith and give you those opportunities to show up and, and I, would, I would call you to that this morning if you've never uh, come to a place in your life where you say, you know what, it's time for me to step out and take some really big steps of faith beyond that initial step of faith of trusting in Jesus. Now I want to take steps of faith and, and, and uh, steps that really give Jesus the opportunity to show us who he is as Christ in us. But you've got to exercise faith. You've got to exercise faith. Let me pray for us.